Okay, would you please turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 28, and we'll start at verse 15. Last week, if you were here, we went through the blessings of the covenant. We finished all the law, all of the exposition of the law, finished the law-keeping ceremony they were to keep, and then heard about the blessings of the covenant, now the curses. And um, it'll be a long passage, so hang in there with me. Long but good. Long but worth it. So let's read Deuteronomy 28, starting at verse 15. Heard all the blessings now. Verse 15. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city. Cursed shall you be in the field. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Cursed shall you be when you come in, and cursed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will send on you curses, confusion, and frustration in all that you undertake to do until you are destroyed. And perish quickly on account of the evil of your deeds, because you've forsaken me. The Lord will make the pestilence stick to you until he has consumed you off the land that you're entering in to take possession of it. The Lord will strike you with wasting disease and with fever, inflammation, and fiery heat, and with drought, and with blight, and with mildew. They shall pursue you until you perish. And the heavens over your head shall be bronze. And the earth under you shall be iron. The Lord will make the rain of your land powder. From heaven, dust shall come down on you until you are destroyed. The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You shall go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them. And you shall be a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth. And your dead body shall be food for all birds of the air and for the beasts of the earth. And there shall be no one to frighten them away. The Lord will strike you with the boils of Egypt and with tumors and scabs and itch of which you cannot be healed. The Lord will strike you with madness and blindness and confusion of mind. And you shall grope at noonday as the blind grope in darkness, and you shall not prosper in your ways. You shall be only oppressed and robbed continually, and there shall be no one to help you. You shall betroth a wife, but another man shall ravish her. You shall build a house, but you shall not dwell in it. You shall plant a vineyard, but you shall not enjoy its fruit. Your ox shall be slaughtered before your eyes, but you shall not eat any of it. Your donkey shall be seized before your face, but shall not be restored to you. Your sheep shall be given to your enemies, but there shall be no one to help you. Your sons and your daughters shall be given to another people while your eyes look on and fail with longing for them all day long, but you shall be helpless." A nation that you have not known shall eat up the fruit of your ground and all your labors, and you shall be only oppressed and crushed continually, so that you're driven mad by the sights that your eyes shall see. The Lord will strike you on the knees and on the legs with grievous boils of which you cannot be healed, from the sole of your foot to the crown of your head. The Lord will bring on you and your the Lord will bring you and your king whom you set over you to a nation that neither you nor your fathers have known. There you shall serve other gods of wood and stone. 
and you shall become a horror, a proverb, and a byword among all the peoples where the Lord will lead you away. You shall carry much seed into the field and shall gather in little, for the locust shall consume it. You shall plant vineyards and dress them, but you shall neither drink of the wine nor gather the grapes, for the worm shall eat them. You shall have olive trees throughout all your territory, but you shall not anoint yourself with the oil, for your olive shall drop off. You shall father sons and daughters, but they shall not be yours, for they shall go into captivity. The cricket shall possess all your trees and the fruit of your ground. The sojourner who is among you shall rise higher and higher above you, and you shall come down lower and lower. He shall lend to you, and you shall not lend to him. He shall be the head, and you shall be the tail. All these curses shall come upon you and pursue you and overtake you till you are destroyed, because you not, did not obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes that he commanded you. They shall be a sign and a wonder against you and your offspring forever. Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart. Because of the abundance of all things, therefore, you shall serve your enemies, whom the Lord will send against you in hunger and thirst, in nakedness, and lacking everything. And he will put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed you. The Lord will bring a nation against you from far away, from the end of the earth, swooping down like the eagle, a nation whose language you do not understand, a hard-faced nation, who shall not respect the old or show mercy to the young. It shall eat the offspring of your cattle and the fruit of your ground until you are destroyed. It also shall not leave you grain, wine, or oil, the increase of your herds or the young of your flock, until they have caused you to perish. They shall besiege you in all your towns until your high and fortified walls in which you trusted come down throughout all your land. They shall besiege you in all your towns throughout all your land which the Lord your God has given you. And you shall eat the fruit of your womb, the flesh of your sons and daughters, whom the Lord your God has given you, in the siege and in the distress with which your enemy shall distress you. The man who is the most tender and refined among you will begrudge food to his brother, to the wife he embraces, and to the last of the children whom he has left, so that he will not give to them any of the flesh of his children whom he is eating, because he has nothing left in the siege and in the distress with which your enemy shall distress you. In all your towns, the most tender and refined woman among you, who would not venture to set the sole of her foot on the ground because she's so delicate and tender, will begrudge to the husband she embraces, to her son and her daughter, her afterbirth that comes out from between her feet, and her children whom she bears because lacking everything, she will eat them secretly in the siege and in the distress with which the enemy shall distress you in your towns." If you're not careful to do all the words of this law that are written in this book, that you may fear this glorious and awesome nation, uh, name, the, the Lord your God, then the Lord will bring on you and your offspring extraordinary afflictions, afflictions severe and lasting, and sicknesses grievous and lasting. And he'll bring upon you all the diseases of Egypt of which you were afraid, and they shall cling to you. Every sickness also and every affliction that's not recorded in the book of this law the Lord will bring upon you until you are destroyed. Whereas you are as numerous as the stars of heaven, you shall be left few in number, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God. And as the Lord took delight in doing you good and multiplying you, so the Lord will take delight in bringing ruin upon you and destroying you. And you shall be plucked off the land that you're entering to take possession of it. And the Lord will scatter you among all peoples from one end of the earth to the other, 
And there you shall serve other gods of wood and stone, which neither you nor your fathers have known. And among these nations you shall find no respite. There shall be no resting place for the sole of your foot, but the Lord will give you there a trembling heart and failing eyes and a languishing soul. Your life shall hang in doubt before you. Night and day you'll be in dread and have no assurance of your life. In the morning you'll say, if only it were evening. And at evening you'll say, if only it were morning, because of the dread that your heart shall feel and the sights that your eyes shall see. And the Lord will bring you back in ships to Egypt, a journey that I promised you should never make again. And there you shall offer yourselves for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves, but there will be no buyer. These are the words of the covenant that the Lord commanded Moses to make with the people of Israel in the land of Moab, besides the covenant that he had made with them at Horeb. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we admit these are hard words, but we know that in your good providence we must need them. So we pray, O oh Lord, that you would help me to preach it with your help. We pray, O oh Lord, that these words would have an impact on our souls, on our hearts, on our lives. Uh, we pray, O oh Lord, that everyone in this room would be one that those we love, O oh Lord, would be those who hide themselves in Christ from all of these curses, Lord. Find in Christ all of our resolution to these things. And may these words just be a, a spur to drive us closer to yourself. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. This will probably sound strange, but the more I understood the function of these curses this week, uh, the more this section reminded me of driver's ed class. I want you to hear me out about this. In driver's ed, everyone knows these kids are being given an enormous responsibility. So you know we've got to teach them something about driving so they can pass the test. But when I was in driver's ed, at least in my public school, uh, they really didn't have to teach us about the benefits of driving because we knew. We knew the benefits of driving. We knew it would be fun to drive. It would be freeing to drive. It would be convenient to drive. And so they didn't really have to talk about the blessings of driving all that much. I don't think they even did at all in my class, but they did focus a lot on the dangers of driving in my class. The uh, stereotypes proved true in my class. They told us about the traffic tickets and icy road conditions and, and the, the railroad crossing told us about everything that could be a danger, but what I remember the most about these lessons are the pictures that they showed us. Because they showed us pictures of absolutely horrifying car crashes. Pictures of bent steel, fire, blood. It was, it was no mystery to us why they were doing this, why they were showing us these pictures. The whole time we're getting ready to receive this privilege of driving, they're trying to show us what would happen if we weren't careful. Uh, they're trying to give us a healthy fear of the road, try to break that feeling that we have of being immortal. And I think this is exactly what the Lord's doing here Deuteronomy 28. God's people are about to receive the awesome privileges, responsibilities of the covenant. He's telling them all of this on the plains of Moab. They're about to go into the land, about to get all these good things. He's showing them a vivid picture of what would happen to them if they weren't careful. He's imparting to his people a healthy fear of the Lord in all these 54 verses. So for our time tonight, let's look at these curses 
Let's take some time in these curses. Let's look at these curses first from just a thousand foot view. Let's just look at them overall. Then let's look at a few more of them in depth. We can't look at all of them in depth. I wish we could. But we have to really take in the picture that he's painting for us. And then let's talk about what these curses show us about God and what our response should be. Those are our four points. Thousand foot view, more in depth. What does it show us about God? And then how do we respond? at the end. So, let's start first with the thousand foot view. I think the most obvious thing about this list of curses, especially if you were here last week and heard the blessings, is that it's very long. There are a lot of curses here, right? Uh, if the blessings were 14 verses in length, the curses section is 54 verses in length. And I actually think that makes sense, knowing something about human nature, because we really need big warnings like this. We're not as wooed by the blessings as we are warned by the curses. And I, I think this is actually pretty common in the other ancient Near Eastern treaties of their day. All of the curse sections were usually longer than the blessing section. But just consider this list of curses with me just from a big picture standpoint. First, consider just what's being cursed. Like, what are the curses? So in this section, God promises curses of famine, sterility, miscarriage, psychological distress in all its forms, poverty, sickness, drought, defeat, dishonor, oppression, plundering, banishment, idol worship, destroyed cities, cannibalism. I think that was 15 I think, or more. It's a, it's a long list. That's a huge list. Suffice it to say, I hope you felt as I read it, it's a terrifying list of curses. Like if God told you, I will do all of this to you, you don't obey. Like, would this not get your attention? And that's the point. That's why it's here. It's supposed to get your attention. So first, that's just what the curses are. Second, I want you to consider the scope of the curses as we're looking at them from a big view. I mean, you read this, you think, well, I think this is about everything that I can think of. This is, everything's cursed in this list. By the end of the curse uh, section, the entire nation is dissolved. All the families are destroyed. All their property has been taken away, and the people are afflicted in their minds, bodies, and souls. So when I read this, I feel like nothing's left untouched. The curse is thorough. It's down to the root, because the curses are comprehensive. Verse 16 says, you'll be cursed in the city and the field, which is everywhere to them. It says in verse 19, you'll be cursed coming and going, which for them is always. Verse 48 says, you shall serve your enemies in hunger and thirst in nakedness, and lacking everything. The Hebrew, lacking all things. So by the end of the curses, there's no doubt. God promised, I'm going to curse everything. Those who disregarded God, they'd be boxed in. There'd be no blessings left to take away. And then last, as we look at this from a large view, in addition to considering the curses themselves, let's just consider how they're written. Because it's the way the curses are written that gives them a lot of extra oomph. So, for instance, I'm sure you noticed as we read this section that some of the curses are repeated. Uh, there's a lot of repetition in here, and I'm sure that's on purpose because it's one thing to just hear, okay, you'll suffer psychological distress, and it's another to hear it over and over again in slightly different ways. So Moses talks about just psychological distress in verse 20, 28, 29, 34, 65, 66, and 67. Seven times. And as he does this, he uses all kinds of words, confusion, frustration, madness, blindness, 
groping, trembling heart, failing eyes, languishing soul, dread of heart. He uses repetition to give you sort of a full-orbed view of what he would do just psychologically to the people. And then while we're on the topic of repetition, you'll notice Moses uses a lot of anaphora. Uh, Anaphora is the repetition of words in the beginning of sentences. He uses this just like he used in the blessing section. So verse 15 through 19, you hear the opposite of in the blessing section. It was blessed, blessed, blessed. And here it's cursed, cursed, cursed. And then from verse 20 on, you hear the Lord will do this. The Lord will do that. The Lord will send on you curses. The Lord will make the pestilence stick. The Lord will make the rain of your land a powder and so on. The effect of this anaphora is it starts sort of an unrelenting assault. Cursed, cursed, cursed. The Lord will do this. The Lord will do that. The Lord will do this. And along the same lines, you notice how many times Moses says, no one will be able to help you. He says it different ways. I can at least five times to include carrion birds no one can frighten away, boils that can't be healed, groping in darkness with no one to help, sheep plundered with no help, and sons and daughters being kidnapped while everyone looks on helplessly. No one can do anything about it. And did you notice how many times he uses the phrase, until you are destroyed? This is the word samad in Hebrew. It's a word that means something like exterminated. It's repeated seven times in this section. So the message we get from this repetition is pretty clear. Apart from repentance, there's just no escape. God's curses will pound at his people unrelentingly, either until they repent or until they're exterminated. So anyway, these curses, they're written in a way that highlights their comprehensiveness Uh, that highlights their fierceness, highlights their inevitability. And if at the end of these curses, you're left feeling this feeling of dread and despair, well, then you get it. That's what they're meant to do. So that's just the, the large view of all the curses. Now let's look at the curses more in depth. All right. You can see from what we just talked about, the list is long, it's powerful, but... I just want to consider some of the curses on their own. Because if you take the time to really think about what they're saying, if you have anything of an empathy muscle, then these curses are horrifying. So I'll take it section by section. I've divided it into sections. Uh, We'll just highlight a couple curses in each section. So first up, we have section one, by my count, which I'll say runs from 15 to 19. What I want you to see here is this is just a word-for-word reversal all of the promised blessings. See a summary of the promised blessings in verses 1 through 6? Blessed shall be your mixing bowl here. Cursed shall be your mixing bowl. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb. Cursed shall be the fruit of your womb. I think the power of the first section is shows you that there's a logic to these curses. God gives a choice. You can go down path 1. You can go down path 2. You have to choose one of the paths. And that's section 1. Blessing, 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 or curse, curse, curse. Second section, I'm going to say runs from 20 to 29. I call this a curse sampler. Uh, This section is just a sampler of all the curses God would bring. I want to draw your attention to a couple of them. First, I want to draw your attention to the disease of verse 22. It says, the Lord will strike you with wasting disease, fever, inflammation, fiery heat, drought, blight, and mildew. 
And scholars differ in how they identify these. Some say they're things like tuberculosis, malaria, typhoid, things like that. But the interesting thing about these diseases is there's seven again. It's the number of completion, comprehension, and these diseases include four for people and three for plants. So this is a curse that's saying he's going to burn up not only the people, he's also going to burn up all their food, which is pretty unnerving. You look at the metaphor that Moses gives along these lines in verse 23, heavens of bronze, earth of iron. It's like, what a metaphor. What a way to describe a drought. It's describing a drought. Rock-hard soil under a burning hot sky. You picture trying to grow something in our Carolina clay after a year of drought under the hot, hot sun. You get something like what's being described there. Or you look at verse 26, another. It's not just that God's people would be defeated. They're fleeing. Complete reversal. Before it was the enemy shall come from one way and leave seven ways. But now it's you will come from one way and leave seven ways. And, but it's, if that's not bad enough, it's that your bodies will be eaten by birds and beasts. It's a grisly picture. And I think it's a horrible thing in any day to envision. But it would have been particularly scary for a people that understood the sacredness of the human body, that understood the importance of its burial. Leaving bones unburied to the people of Israel was a, was a horrible thing, let alone to have it carried away by an animal. And then last of all for this section, I thought it's interesting. Did you know, this, I studied this, the rabbis historically considered verse 27 and verse 30 to be too explicit to be read out loud. So they usually substituted more polite words when they read it. Like verse 27 is probably describing hemorrhoids. But the rabbis just said tumors. Verse 30 uses a very strong word for rape. The ESV kind of gets there with ravish. It's still polite. But the rabbis just said lie with. They wouldn't read what these people would do. So the the point is that these curses were so severe that historically people haven't even felt comfortable reading them out loud. I actually feel awkward saying these things, but they're the word of God. I have to say it. Because who can imagine a nightmare worse than their wife being raped and their children taken from them into slavery? I shiver just saying it. That's section two. In section 3, I'm, I'm dividing that up from verses 30 to 44. A lot of people call these the futility curses uh, because they all describe things that people would work for, but they'd never get to enjoy them. So verse 29 sets it all up. It says, you shall only be oppressed and robbed continually, and there shall be no one to help you. So here's what the oppression looks like. It's this list of crushing oppression. And in the Hebrew, it starts with the, the good thing first. It, the first of every sentence starts with the blessing but then it starts, and it gets taken away. You shall betroth a wife. In Hebrew, a wife you shall betroth, and another man shall. A, a house you shall build. You will not dwell in it. A vineyard you'll plant. You will not enjoy its fruit. Sons and daughters you'll father, but they shall go into captivity. This pattern is followed 12 times in the text. If you're tracking so far with all these numbers, 7 and 7 and 4 and 3 and 12, I think these are very intentional. 
You talk about an existential crisis. You read enough of these futility curses in a row and you start to think, what would be the point of even living? Nothing they do ever succeeds. And I think that's the point. You walk away from God. You walk away from every good thing, especially meaning, especially joy. That's section three. Section four, which I'm saying is verses 49 through 57, because it seems to me that 45 through 48 is, it closes out a big section on general curses. Here's some general curses for a while. Then we've got this little wrap-up in 45 through 48. And then 49 through 57 seems to talk about one large climactic curse. These verses describe a horrific endgame scenario and a disturbing picture. Probably the most disturbing of all. The end game scenario is if the people disobey long enough and hard enough, the Lord will bring the cruelest invaders who will take everything, destroy every city, and put the rest of his people under the most horrific siege you can imagine. Which leads to the most disturbing picture of the whole text. It's a picture of men and women starving so badly they're eating their own children. I mean, it just... You just linger on that for a moment. You've got a woman who's so delicate. It's like she's always been born on a, on a carriage. And she's gobbling up her own placenta in secret. She's hiding the corpse of her baby so she doesn't have to share it with her family. I don't think I can think of a more disturbing picture than that. And then last, you have section 5, which by my count runs 58 to 68. In this section, God threatens the reversal of his promises. It's a pretty big deal. Uh, You could go through all of them. I'll just give you some of them. In Exodus, God's people are promised, you won't suffer any of the plagues of Egypt. But here, they're targeted by the plagues of Egypt. Verse 60, he will bring upon you, again, all the diseases of Egypt of which you were afraid. In Genesis, Abram is promised many offspring, but it's undone. Verse 62, whereas you are as numerous as the stars of heaven, you shall be left few in number. In Genesis, Abram is promised the land, that's the land, but it's undone again. Verse 63, you will be plucked off the land that you're entering to take possession of. Worse yet, in Exodus, God delivers Israel from slavery in Egypt. It's the Old Testament's most important picture of salvation But then this is worse than undone in verse 68. Not only are the people brought back to Egypt as slaves, nobody even wants to buy them. You know what we're seeing here in this end section? You're seeing the complete unraveling of God's promises for those who have no faith. For those who aren't trusting in him. And as if that wasn't horrible enough, I think verse 63 may be Some of the most chilling words in the entire Bible. Verse 63, as the Lord took delight in doing you good and multiplying you, so the Lord will take delight in bringing ruin upon you and destroying you. This is not something that we're used to hearing from our God of grace, is it? It It may be a little hyperbolic, it's exaggerated, because God says elsewhere he does not desire the death of the wicked, but I don't think it it completely is. 
Because God will rejoice to see evil destroyed, and God will rejoice to see his justice satisfied. So anyway, at the end of all this, as we have gotten maybe even too close to these things, here's my point. The more we study these curses, the more we see what an utter nightmare they are. And that brings us to our third point. What these curses show us about God. Like all of God's word, God's curses show us something about him. Like looking at these curses, you see these are fearful curses. They're breathtaking. They're severe. They're worse than a nightmare. These curses show you God's fearfulness. Looking at these curses, they're very fair. If you think about it, God tells us all throughout, he tells us why he's bringing these curses or why he would bring these curses. He says it's because, verse 20, because you forsook me. He says it's because you persisted in disobeying. You did evil. You kept disobeying me. Verse 15, 45, 62. And then in verse 47, he says, well, it's because they didn't serve him with a good heart. They didn't serve him with joy. If you think this isn't fair, I want to ask you, why should a person ever think they deserve God's blessings if those things are true? How can a person hate God and rebel against God and expect good things from him? It's a serious question for people that say, this isn't fair, this isn't nice. These curses show God's fairness. They show his fearfulness. They show his fairness. And maybe most soberingly, looking at all these curses, every single one of them came true. They all happened. Drought. You, you, can, you can track these throughout the Bible. You can track them through the book of Kings. You can track them through the prophets. Drought and sword in the days of Elijah. Locusts in the days of Amos. Uh, that siege that we talked about in Jeremiah, in Ezekiel. All... These curses show us God, God means what he says. God really means business. He's sincere about these curses. And so what I want to say at the end of all this, as we look at God's curses, you're seeing a different angle on God, true angle on God. You're seeing the truth that he's a fearful God, that he will bring terrible judgments, that it's his right to do so, that his curses are no idle threats. He's done every one of them in the past. And thinking about these curses this week, it occurred to me, the thought occurred to me that these curses aren't even close to the worst curses that he can muster. They're not even close to how bad he can make it. If you think these curses are bad, imagine what hell must be like. Imagine what his curses will be like when there's no restraint from his common grace anymore. I'm sure these curses can't hold a candle to the horrors of hell. Unless you doubt it, lest you say, oh, don't know about that. Did not Jesus say, don't fear those who kill the body but can't kill the soul? He said, rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And so you say, does famine sound bad? Sounds bad. How about hunger and thirst like you've never known, forever unsatisfied? Do you think a burning disease sounds bad? How about an open flame on your flesh unrelentingly forever? Do you think dishonor sounds bad? Not being thought well of. Well, 
People thinking you're a horror. Well, how about the holy hatred of God forever? Do you think a destroyed city sounds bad? How about being locked out of God's kingdom in eternal darkness? Do you think it sounds bad having your wife and children taken away? How about eternal isolation, only hating and being hated by everyone forever? All this is to say, Hebrews is right. Hebrews says, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Which brings us to our last point. At the end of the day, I think, you read these curses, it's okay, we've, we've seen the car crash, the pictures, it's horrible. So what do we do? What do we do with this? Well, first of all, I'll say two things. First, I think these curses should just make us run to Christ uh, and then desperately cling to Christ in light of this. It may be that there's someone in this room who is not trusting in Christ yet. And I know that there are people in this room who slowly turn away from Christ, who don't follow him, and are increasingly not following him. Friends, I would say to you the same thing that Hebrews says, that if the message declared by angels proves reliable, that if every transgression or disobedience receives a just reward, how shall you escape if you neglect so great a salvation? Listen, the only way that you can escape these curses is by being united to Jesus Christ by faith. The only way you can escape worse than these curses is if Jesus took all these curses on himself at the cross for you. God is real, his justice is real, and so the only real way he made for you is his son. That's it. The most obvious lesson of this passage is that on the coming day of judgment, you need to hide yourself in the rock of Jesus Christ to escape all these curses. That's the first thing we do with this. It's so hopeful. Second, I'm going to double down on this. Second, I don't think this is only calling for us to come to Christ. I think it's calling us to come to him with real faith. To like really come to Christ. I'm making this point because I need to remind you of something about this passage. I want you to remember these curses were not just written to the world in general. Right? These curses were written for God's covenant people. These curses were inflicted on people who were once a part of his visible church. Which is something that should really give us pause. Because this means it's not enough to say, well, well, I go to church. It's not enough to say, well, I was baptized. They were circumcised. It's not enough to say, well, I'm Presbyterian. They said, well, I was a descendant of Abraham. It's not enough to say, I prayed a prayer. You need to have real faith. He tells you the reasons why he did this to the people. It's because they forsook him. It's because they weren't walking in obedience to him. He says it's because they didn't walk towards him with a good heart. And so he says, no, you need to have real faith, a faith that doesn't forsake God, but lives in active relationship with him. A faith that obeys him and repents when it doesn't obey him. 
A faith that actively loves and serves him and his people from the heart. You say, oh, you're adding things under his requirements. No, this is what 1 John says. It says you have to believe in him and love him and obey him. And so this is calling not just, not just run to Christ, not just cling to Christ. This is calling for real faith, true faith, persistent faith from God's people. It's calling you to be a real Christian is what it's calling you to be. And so I call you, I call you, cling to Christ. I call you, cling to Christ truly. Uh, don't mess around with him. Because the truth of the matter is, if you're not clinging him in faith, in true faith, then these curses will be yours, and far worse will be yours. And as Christians, we, we all have little tastes of this in his discipline. He, he still brings some hard things on us, not as punishment anymore, not as condemnation, but as a means of driving us back to him. Thank God for that. Blessed be the wave that dashes me against the rock of ages. But if we're not real about following Jesus, then these curses are nothing compared to what's coming. Well, I'll just bring my real conclusion now. Uh, hearing all this tonight, you might be thinking to yourself, all right, Pastor Rosser, you're just trying to scare us, and you'd be exactly right. Yes, I am. I want you to fear God. It's good and right that you should fear God because he's not a God to be messed with. We mess around with him. We do. Uh, we treat ourselves to little pet sins, and then we, go to, we, say, we let grace excuse us. We massively deceive ourselves with our sins. We need wake-up calls like this. We still need wake-up calls like this. We need the picture of the car crash. This could happen. This could happen. We need 54 curses heaped up in living color. We need warnings set in the strongest terms, which is why this passage is so gracious to you. Because here's the thing. God wants you to be warned. Warnings are gracious. If he didn't love you, he'd just say, go on your way. But warnings are gracious. I have no doubt this is included here for you to read possibly even preach from this pulpit because God wants you to be warned because he loves you. He wants you to be warned so that you would cling to Christ even closer because he gave you a way, a way out of these curses. That's why he had this written for his people. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, um, we praise you for your justice, for your righteousness, even for your wrath against evil. We praise you for it, tremblingly so. But Lord, we praise you even more for how you have seen fit to warn us and to give us a solid and steadfast way out. So we pray, O oh Lord, please don't let the evil one snatch this from any hearts. Don't let the, the weeds and the thorns of this world strangle out this message in any heart. If anyone here tonight is thinking, yes, I need to follow Christ, sure, and closer, and if they love you more from having heard this, O oh Lord, then don't let anything dampen that, O oh Lord. Uh, 
please keep this impression in our hearts. We love you. Thank you for your warning, for your salvation, for being who you are against evil. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.